Welcome to the Inspired Word of God. My name is Marcia. Today I want to talk about lamentation. Lamentation is the expression of sorrow or the expression of grief. In the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, it says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. When we come to that point in our lives where we are truly sorrowful over sins that we've committed, then we are genuinely ready to repent and be sold out to Christ, to live for God no matter what. Feeling sorrow and grief for sin means we are not looking to make excuses for past sins. We are not finger-pointing or blaming someone else. We acknowledge our sins before God and accept responsibility for our actions. God wants us to lay those burdens down before Him. He will know if we are doing this for show for someone or if we're doing it to try to impress someone or manipulate someone. He knows the motives of all of our hearts. For those who are genuine in their repentance, He will forgive you. But He knows if you're genuine or not. Those who do read their Bible, they will find in the book of Ezekiel what God said about Jerusalem. When you read it, you will see what happened to them as a nation. We only view what happens to individuals, but God's judgment will reach where he wants it to, to an individual or to a nation. Ezekiel 5.5 This is what the Sovereign Lord says. This is Jerusalem, which I have set in the center of the nations with countries all around her. Yet in her wickedness, she has rebelled against my laws and decrees more than the nations and countries around her. She has rejected my laws and has not followed my decrees. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. You have been more unruly than the nations around you and have not followed my decrees or kept my laws. You have not even conformed to the standards of the nations around you. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself am against you, Jerusalem, and I will inflict punishment on you in the sight of the nations. Because of all your detestable idols, I will do to you what I have never done before, and I will never do again. Therefore, in your midst, fathers will eat their children, and children will eat their fathers. I will inflict punishment on you, and will scatter you, all your survivors, to the winds. Therefore, as surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your vile images and detestable practices, I myself will withdraw my favor. I will not look on you with pity or spare you. A third of your people will die of the plague or perish by famine inside you. A third will fall by the sword outside your walls, and a third I will scatter to the winds and pursue with drawn sword. That was Ezekiel 5, 5 through 12. As we read Daniel, we see that many went into captivity. 
Daniel 1 and 2 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. We have all told countless stories about Daniel and his friends. They were among the many who were taken away into captivity from the fall of Jerusalem. In the aftermath, we can see the lamentation. It says in the book of Lamentations, chapter 1, verse 1 through 8, How does the city sit solitary that was full of people? How is she become as a widow? She that was great among the nations and princess among the provinces, how is she become tributary? She weeps sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks among all her lovers. She have none to comfort her. All her friends have deceit. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction. And because of great servitude, she dwelleth among the heathen. She finds no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. Jerusalem remembered in the days of her affliction and of her miseries all her pleasant things that she had in the days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the enemy and none did to help her, the adversaries saw her and did mock at her Sabbaths. Jerusalem hath grievously sinned, therefore she is removed. All that honored her despise her, because they have seen her nakedness, yea, she sigheth and turn backward. For all that Jerusalem continued to do and ignore God, he brought them down to their knees. Once the strongest nation, now destroyed. Some were taken away in captivity, and others scattered. God will remove a nation. People continue to break God's laws and challenge him. Live how they want to. But he will remove you. He will remove you as an individual. And he will remove you as a nation. Jerusalem is proof. It doesn't matter who you are, how big, popular, powerful. Nothing on this earth is so powerful that it cannot be removed by the hands of God when he moves upon it with judgment. Remember the story in Nineveh? When we hear the accounts, we focus on Jonah and the well. But God called Jonah to go and prophesy to those people because of their wickedness. In Jonah 1, 1 and 2, it reads, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. From reading about this in the book of Jonah, we know Jonah fled because he didn't want to deliver God's word to Nineveh. But having gone through his crisis for disobedience, Jonah finally obeyed and went to Nineveh to deliver the message. Jonah 3, 1 through 10 reads, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, 
Go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, and proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent, and turn away from his fierce anger, that we perish not? And God saw their works, and they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. The difference here is the people listened from the king down to the regular citizen. They as a whole repented, and God spared them. Jerusalem would not listen, would not repent. Some of Jerusalem's inhabitants died by the sword. Some went into captivities. Others were scattered. It begins with each of us and how we choose to live our lives. Each of us fits into a daily routine. We get caught up in the activity of the day and often do not take the time to focus on our response to others, our thoughts, decisions, and how they shape our character. We tend to go from one generation to the next, and as the life cycle continues, we just look at it as continuing on with never an end to it. Jerusalem was rebellious, stubborn, hard-headed, and disrespectful in how they chose to live. It's like that today. People do things against the word of God and see no wrong in it. They will grab signs and march for miles in support of things that speak in opposition to the word of God. They will argue with you that they are right in how they feel and care about the cause that they support. Countless people say that they are Christians who will debate with you. Their justification for supporting sin is endless. They give it a pass, and some are willing to overlook it. We do not believe anything can or will happen to us as an individual or as a nation. We frown at God's word when it says God is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. But some of those things we support are the wrinkle and the spot. If we partake in any of those activities, then we have a spot, a wrinkle, or a blemish on us. We fail to acknowledge this. Anything that is not in alignment with the Word of God is a spot, a blemish, and a wrinkle upon your soul.
God's word doesn't say that you can't receive forgiveness because we can. The spot can come off. We have to want the stain gone. We have to ask God for deliverance from sin and from that spirit that has embedded itself within us. God can and God will, but you have to want it. God did not tell us to go out and commit sin. All of us are guilty of it. Every one of us has to be mindful daily to walk with God if he is who we have chosen to follow. We all have to walk that line, making sure we stay on the right side of it. We can love someone without embracing their sin. I can love you, but I will not love your sin. I will not support your sin and act like it is okay with me. We all have a choice and God will not step on our free will. So who are we to step on someone else's? I won't because I can't. But that does not mean that I will support your choice. The problem is when we voice opposition, it becomes a war zone because some do not see the devil's scheme and the work of his demonic forces. So they take on a spirit of offense. I know that if I am to be righteous with God, then he expects me to get up, repent, and live like I want him in my life, making no excuses. Just like this message that I'm giving today, there are times when the Lord will quicken our spirit to speak to someone on a personal level. And if he does that, then I will speak that word to whomever he lays on my heart to speak it to. Somebody did that for me. By someone speaking a word to me and God bringing it forward, sometimes individually and other times in a sermon. But I got the message. He will do that. He will sometimes have you in a group of people in a conversation and something that comes out of their mouth strikes your spirit with accuracy. And they have no idea that they just spoke a prophetic word to you. But that's how God works. He will send someone to you directly. He will let you hear a conversation. Or he will let you hear a sermon. But the point is, God will get his message to each of us. If we cannot remove stains from our heart, spirit, and lives, we will not make it into heaven. Hell is the destination. Whether you believe there is a hell or not, is irrelevant. That belief will not stop you from going there. After the judgment, all of hell's inhabitants will live forever in torment in the lake of fire. It tells us in Revelations 20:15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We cannot undo our past or the sins that we committed but we do not have to accept what was true in our past and continue it on in our present life like it's a legacy. God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to turn our hearts toward him and living with him eternally. God already knows what our destination will be. He knows when he sends someone to speak to us, whether we will listen to them or whether we will change our lives based on the message that he sent to us. It is not a time to be prideful, angry, or have a spirit of offense. 
It is a time to remain hopeful. Because he sent someone to speak to you, that says he does not count you as a reprobate. So there is still hope, and he is standing there with his arms wide open and waiting. If we feel sorrow over the sins we commit, then we are more prone to seek God for forgiveness. We are at that point where we want a turnaround in our life. If you feel that you are weak in areas, you are the one who has to resign yourself to stop. Don't allow deception to cloud your judgment. God awaits any soul who wants out of the muck and mire. But you have to communicate that to him, that you want to be free of it. And if it is bondage that you are in, then just tell him. I encourage you to read the Bible, to get to know the Lord as your Savior. Ask him for help. We shall all live eternally, either with God or without him. As a nation or an individual, to be rejected by God is the absolute worst thing that can happen. We always focus on answered prayers and blessings of God, but we do not want to focus on the wrath of God. In Scripture, we see two situations, the wrath of God for a nation, which was Nineveh, and how they turned their lives around. They had sorrow and grief for their sins. They repented, and God saved them. Jerusalem remained stubborn and disobedient. They refused to heed God's warnings. He sent prophets, but they ignored. It was apparent in their continued life of sin that there was no grief or sorrow for their sin, and the wrath of God fell upon them. As an individual, we are given the same opportunity that is laid before us. We know that we sin, but through sorrow for how we have lived, we can turn it around. Lamentation is the expression of sorrow and the expression of grief. It is an individual choice in both situations of Nineveh and Jerusalem had to come to that point whether they admitted to themselves that they had sin in their life and they wanted to change. We have an opportunity each day that God wakes us up, that it will be the day that we turn our lives around and pour out our sorrows and sin and lay them at his feet. Though Jerusalem was destroyed, some individuals resigned themselves to following God. Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego are all proof in the book of Daniel of that lifestyle, that they lived for God. They remained faithful to him, even though they fell in captivity. Sorrow and grief for how we live cannot be expressed in a fake manner. God knows each heart. He will know whether you mean it. If you die without turning your life around, it will be too late. You can't get a last-minute chance when you stand before God on Judgment Day. Here on earth, in our physical realm, is that last opportunity, my closing prayer. Lord, prick the hearts of your people. I pray they will feel both conviction and sorrow 
for their sin and make the decision to lay them at your feet. Each day that you allow us to wake up and walk through a new day is an opportunity for us to get ourselves right with you. Tomorrow is not promised, but neither is the remainder of our present day. There have been those who woke up and started their day, but they did not make it home that evening. Sorrow is to feel sad, disappointment, grief, and regret. I pray that we feel sorrow for our sins, because to feel sorrow for our sins brings hope that we will surrender our hearts to you. I pray lamentation over sin becomes an occasion for us to turn our hearts to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.